Okay, uh, welcome everybody uh, to the ministry series on the book of Leviticus. And um, we have been covering for the last several weeks a number of uh, key topics uh, in this book. And um, on the next slide, you can see what we have been covering. Oh, by the way, uh, Chris has, and Josh, some paper in case you need something to uh, take notes. I would highly recommend you to write some notes, key uh, scripture references, maybe some quotes, or whatever the Lord speaks to you personally. It's good to keep a record of that. So just raise your hand if you need uh, some paper, and Josh can come and help you. Right here, Josh. Okay. So we have been covering the topics of consecration, keeping the, bur the fire burning, where, when we talk about calling on the name of the Lord, pray, reading his word, and then uh, we moved on to some types uh, in the book of Hebrews. We covered the significance of eating Jesus. Then we touched the matter of leprosy and expiation, remember metal? Use that wonderful illustration to distinguish between expiation and uh, propiti uh, what's propitiation? Yeah. And propitiation. And last week, Isaiah uh, touched the matter of sanctification. Okay? Well, today we're going to cover another crucial topic in the book of Leviticus. And this is very special in God's heart. And that has to do with the matter of keeping the feast unto God and with God. And actually, as a young person, you need to know this, that the best and the highest relationship that man can have with God is that of feasting unto God and feasting with God. And you will see, uh, hopefully in the next 30 minutes or so, why is this the case, okay? God wants man to feast with him. When we talk about a feast, that is a time of rest and enjoyment. And God created us, first of all, for that. Okay, so on the next slide is the title of this presentation, After Thanksgiving, uh, another brother will continue with the second part on this subject of feast, the feast appointed by God. You can find this uh, in the book of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus, of course. And I will be covering just a few basic principles. Before the Lord, I was considering how can I approach this matter of feasting or the feast appointed by the Lord with you all? And that's what he gave me. How about we cover a few basic principles? And the first one is that you and I were saved to feast. You were saved to feast. And Exodus 5.1, how about we all read that verse together? Okay, go. That's the first principle I want you to remember, that you were saved to feast. 
At this time, the children of Israel, Exodus chapter 5, they are still in Egypt. They are as slaves. And Pharaoh is very harsh on them. And he will not let them go. So this is the first time Moses goes before Pharaoh and conveys the message from God. Let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me. So remember, you were saved to feast. Then when you go to the New Testament and Paul is speaking with the Corinthian believers, see what he told them. Let's read that together. Go. Let us keep the feast. So you were saved to feast, and now you need to keep the feast. Save to feast, keep the feast. How about we all re uh, repeat those two sentences? Save to feast, keep to feast. Sisters? Save to feast, keep the Brothers? All together. Save to feast, keep the feast. Okay? And that feast, when you go back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and you read the context, Paul is talking about the feast of unleavened bread. And I don't know how familiar you are with the feast that Jehovah appointed, but the Passover feast was on the 14th day of the first month. And right after that, for seven days, the children of Israel uh, ate unleavened bread for seven days. And seven in the Bible is a very particular number. Seven signifies the complete period, the complete course of your Christian life. So for your entire life, what God wants us to do is to keep the feast. He wants us to keep the feast eating unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And that bread is a type of Christ. So God wants us for the entire course of our Christian life to enjoy Christ, to feast on Christ. And if we will do that, everything will be solved. God's purpose will be accomplished. We will grow in our Christian life. And the enemy will have no chance against us if we keep the feast, okay? Well, this brings us to God's intention. God's intention is not that his people will keep the commandments. That is not God's original intention. He did not create man and right away gave him a list of commandments. No, no, no. God's intention is that we will enjoy Christ. That's his intention. Of course, you may wonder why he gave us the Ten Commandments. Basically, the Ten Commandments expose what we are and our inability, right, to fulfill what God demands. Man thinks that he can do it, but God gave them the law to show them that they cannot do it and actually that they need God. Okay? So the Christian life, is not a religious life, trying to be good, trying to please God, trying to be a good person, an ethical person. Actually, the Christian life is simply a life of enjoying Christ all the time. The Christian life is simply a life of enjoying Christ all, all the time. 
okay? That is basically the same as keeping the fist, okay? Well, you may wonder, what about working for God or with God? What about our works? Well, there is a principle, and I want to show you that principle in the next slide. It's a divine principle, and that is God first supplies us with rest and enjoyment, and then we work together with him. That's a divine principle. It's not that we are going to do nothing, but the order is very important. God first supplies us with whatever we need. He supplies us with rest and enjoyment. And I tell you something, my dear brothers and sisters. I was a student for many years. At this point of the semester, and after Thanksgiving uh, break, you will need rest and enjoyment to finish this semester in a good way. Okay? So God is ready to supply us. And you're going to go through those finals. But you must receive God's supply for you. Okay? So <clears throat> that's the principle. And we can see that from the very beginning of the scriptures. Remember the first six days right there? God created. He did a lot of things. Days one through six. Now, Hannah, when was man created? What day? The sixth day, right there. Look at it. Man is created the sixth day at the end of God's creation. And so God is happy. God is satisfied because on this earth there is a creature bearing his image and about to receive his dominion to represent God. But look at this. The next day is the Sabbath day. The next day, the seventh day, it says that God rested. Now, pay attention to this. God did not need to rest because he was tired. Do you think that God was tired after six days of creating all these things? Now he's tired and he needs to rest. No. God, God made the Sabbath not because he was tired. Actually, he made the Sabbath for us. The Sabbath is for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right? That's what the Lord Jesus said in the New Testament. So God made the Sabbath for us. He wanted man, the man he created, to rest with him. So man's first day, look at the diagram. Man's first day is a resting day. That's how the Christian life begins. If you want to be a good Christian, you have to remember this principle right here. Everything in the Christian life begins with man resting. Okay? And we will have a few illustrations of this. That God first supplies us with rest and enjoyment, and then we work. Okay? So let's see here. The prodigal son. I'm going to assume that all of you are familiar with this story, right, in Luke chapter 15. And the verses here on the screen are when the prodigal son, now he comes back to his senses. You may say he repents. He has a turn, and he's thinking. In verse 18, 
I will rise up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So make me like one of your hired servants. That's his thinking, doing, working. Make me like one of your hired servants. But you know what? The father didn't pay attention to that. The father didn't care for that. Look at what the father did in verse 22 and 23. How about you all read that together? Go. That's the father's view, the father's concept. That's the divine principle. The son wants to be a servant, a slave. The father says, no. Let me change all your clothes and let, let us do something. Let us kill the fattened calf, which, by the way, is a beautiful type of Christ as our food, and let us eat and be merry. And boy, they, have a re- they had a real party. You know, when the other son came, it says, if you read Luke, that he heard music and uh, singing and dancing. They were even dancing. That was a real party. The father with the uh, returning son. Okay, not to work, but to be supplied. Then we have another illustration with Elijah. That's in the Old Testament, First Kings chapter 19. I would encourage you to remember all these references. These are precious references. At least write the reference, okay? So this is a time when uh, Jezebel, an evil woman, is killing all the prophets. And Elisha has, um, uh, he, he ran and he went into a cave. And this is what happened there. Verse 5, how about brothers? You read verse 5, go. Okay, rise up and eat. And then, sisters, verse 6. And he left there, and his head was a cake and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. Okay, so he rises up, and then he eats and drinks and lays down again. Then, brothers, verse 7. And then all together in verse 8, go. And he rose up and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to the Lord of the mountain of God. And notice that what is underlined. After he ate and drank, he went on his way, right? Where? To the Mount of God. 40 days and 40 nights. But he went there in the strength of that food. You see, the supply comes first, and then you walk. Then you work. That's the principle. Okay? Then we have another illustration with Abraham. Okay? Um, this is a time, you know, if you go back to your Bible and read the last verse of chapter 16... You, it says that Abraham was 86, not, 86 years old. Then Genesis 17, the very next chapter, verse 1, 
It says, and when Abraham was 99 years old, how many years in between? 13. God did not talk with Abraham for 13 years. You know why? Because God, Abraham produced Ishmael out of the works of the flesh, and God was very unhappy. God, God is not happy with the works of our flesh. For 13 years, there was silence. So, Genesis 17, 1, when Abraham is 99 years old, Jehovah appears to him and says to him, I am the all-sufficient God. That's how God introduces himself. To this person who wanted to do something for God, who wanted to, quote, quote, help God to fulfill his purpose. To this one, with God was totally unpleased. Now he comes and says, okay, Abraham, I am the all-sufficient God. I am everything you need. I'm everything to you. And then he says, walk before me and be perfect. To walk before God means to live in his presence. And to be perfect is not that you try to be perfect. It's that you allow God to come into you as the element of perfection so that you become perfect by his all-sufficient supply. Remember that verse in Matthew chapter 5? Therefore you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How can we do that? That is too high. Well, we can do that because he is the all-sufficient God. He's ready to supply us with all that he is. Right? Okay. So, against the divine principle, we have man's religious concept. And I have a few verses to show you that fallen concept. Remember one thing. Fallen man always wants to do something for God. That's what he wants to do. You know, in my own experience, you know what was very hard? That, that was 1986. I was a college student many years ago. You were not even born. Most of you were not even born. The hardest thing for me to be saved is that I could not accept that I had to do nothing just to receive everything God had prepared. Martha is here. She was back there. Her and her spiritual mother came to my lab and read the Bible with me for about a year until it made a click. Oh, that's why God prepared everything. I just need to receive. But it was hard for me. I thought, it cannot be. I have to do something to receive God's salvation. You see, because fallen man's concept is always to do something for God. So we have here the children of Israel. God speaks to Moses. God gives all the commandments and ordinances. And look at the response of, of God's people. Okay, so Moses came and said before them, the, the children of Israel, all these words which Jehovah had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, you can almost see them, all that Jehovah has spoken, we will do. Do you think God was excited? Do you think God was, yeah, yes, yes, you can do it. No. God was displeased. If you read later on, you will see how God reacted. Not happy. Because, again, our concept is that we can do it. Right? 
Then the Jews, that's in John chapter 6. Then they said to him, now look at this, how boastful, how, how blind, how blind they are. Okay? What shall we do? They are talking to Jesus. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Just tell us, Jesus. Tell us and we will do it. To them is enough just to know what are the works of God. Tell us and we will do it. And Jesus, coming back to the divine principle, remember, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe into him whom he has sent. That is, that you receive him. You don't have to do anything. God wants you first to receive him. Not for you to do something for God. Okay? So, after all these things, the illustrations about the divine principle and man's concept of doing things for God, we can conclude that the Christian life begins not with a big do, but with a big done. That's how the Christian life begins. Everything is done. And no wonder the call in the New Testament is come to the feast. Turn from doers to feasters. I have prepared everything. God is telling us, I have prepared everything. I just need feasters. Who is available to feast? Who is hungry enough to feast? I don't want you to do anything. Look at what the verse says underneath. How about you all read that together in Matthew 22. Go. It says, I have prepared. That's something God did. He became a man. He died on the cross. Christ became the life-giving spirit. He did everything. Now he's so available for man to receive. Everything is ready. Just come to the wedding feast. Okay, so that's the New Testament call. And we, I'm glad that we sang that song. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Okay, now the next thing I want to cover with you, since this is so wonderful, God has prepared everything, and he just needs feasters. We need to have a change of concept, brothers and sisters, from doers to feasters, from law keepers to Christ enjoyers. I tell you, if you do this, if by the Lord's mercy you are turned from a doer to a feaster, you will grow in your Christian life, you will be buildable, that is, you can be built up with others, and you will, will be one with God for the fulfillment of his purpose. If you can do this, stop all you're doing and begin to feast upon the Christ of God. Okay? But what prevents us from feasting? What keeps us? What things frustrate us? What things in our daily lives and what things as a UT college student um, prevent us? keep us away from feasting. And I was just reflecting on my own experience and also with this, under the light of the scriptures, and I came up with a few things, okay? Mainly three things. The first one is sin. Sin is the very first thing that will kill the feast. It's a feast killer. And in Isaiah 59, too, how about you all read that verse? Go. 
So <clears throat> God is ready to save. His ear is not that heavy that he cannot hear, and his hand can really save us. But the verse says, your iniquities, your sins, have created a wall of separation, a partition between you and your God. Okay? But in the same book, just, you know, chapter 1, he says, he gives us the solution to this problem. Come now. Come now and let us reason together, says Jehovah. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. He promises that. Just come. Come to him just as you are. Don't try to hide it. Don't rename it. Just call it as it is, sin, and confess it. Come to him. If you are willing and listen, verse 19 says, you will eat the good of the land. That's the feast. So God does not tolerate sin, but God gives us the way to deal with it. And he even calls us. Come now and let us reason together, okay? Because he wants us to eat the good of the land. That is the feast, okay? Now, <clears throat> concerning this matter of sin, I hope you remember what is uh, the title of this uh, slide. To deal with manifested sin is to keep the, unle the feast of unleavened bread. You deal with manifested sin. We're going to see what is that. Okay? In Exodus 12, how about brothers 17 and sisters 19? Go ahead. Exodus 12. Go ahead, brother 17. Sisters. Okay, and then pay attention to shall be found in your houses. Okay, this is the time just before they cross the Red Sea. God is telling them this. Okay, so they, they, they are commanded to keep the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. And it says, for seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses. Leaven is something sinful, okay? It's not good in the Bible. Leaven is never good in the Bible. So, no leaven shall be found in your houses. Then on the right side, in Exodus 13, how about sisters? Go ahead and read verse 6. Go. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And brother, seven. That's right. So, no leaven was to be found in the houses, and no leaven was to be seen among the children of Israel. So, what does this mean? It means this. Pay attention to this. Although it is impossible for us to completely be without sin, it is impossible to be without sin. We must Pay attention. Eliminate any sin, S-I-N, that is seen. We must deal with that. That's why they shall be found and shall be seen. 
any sin that is manifested, any sin that is seen, you have to deal with it. So we must confess and forsake that sin of which we are conscious. That one. That's why it's manifested. When it is manifested, you are conscious about it, you deal with it. How do you do it? By confessing. And write down this reference on your paper, Proverbs 28.13. Proverbs 28.13. It says, He who covers his transgressions will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Okay? So to deal with manifested sin is to keep the feast of unleavened bread. And a warning here, if we tolerate that sin that has been manifested, then we run the risk of losing the enjoyment of fellowship with God's people. That's why the verses say, you know, when you go back to Exodus, you may be cut off from the assembly. That means you lose the enjoyment of the fellowship with God's people. Okay? Now, this point is telling us one thing. That the only way to eliminate sin is by eating daily Christ as the unleavened bread. That's the way to eliminate sin. That we eat daily Christ as the unleavened bread. This unleavened bread is Christ, the resurrected, ascended, and sinless Christ. We have to eat of him every day. Okay? So that's to keep the feast of unleavened bread. And then we go to the next one. So sin is one. The second one, oh, I'm sure you, don't, you are not familiar with this one. You don't know anything about this one. Anxiety. Anxiety is a joy killer. Anxiety kills your joy. The Bible says, always rejoice. Even we sing, always rejoice, right? Unceasingly pray. Always rejoice. But you know what anxiety does? It kills your joy. And it robs you from your testimony as a Christian. So, Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in the heart of a man weighs it down, but a good word brings it joy. Okay? You know, when you let anxiety come into your inward being, really, your joy disappears. Your smiling face, you know, the, the face that we draw, it turns the other way around. <laughs> because you are, you know, overburdened with so many things. And you cannot continue smiling and saying praise the Lord when you are bearing all these things upon you. But God gives us the way. The next verse, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting, how about we'll read that together. Casting all your anxiety on him, because it matters to him concerning you. Anxiety is not your portion. God is your portion. The all-sufficient God is your portion. Christ as your living bread is your portion. Anxiety is not your portion. Okay? So you need to cast it. Casting in Greek is very strong. It's a very strong word. 
It's not just passing or giving. You cast all your anxiety on God because it matters to him. It matters to him concerning you. Okay? I know by experience that this works. I went through my bachelor's, my master's, my PhD. I practiced this many, 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 many times. Okay? So I hope you take advantage of this uh, in the next few weeks, uh, finals, and then you know, the end of the semester. You need to practice. Do a lot of casting because it matters to God concerning you. Okay? Okay, then we have um, the third one, missing the meetings. You know, the feasts uh, are something corporate. To have a feast, you need people and you need food, right? What kind of feast is you have, you have all this wonderful food and it's you yourself alone? What kind of feast is that? There is no feast. You need people. You need the feasters, the co-feasters. Well, the feast is something corporate. And I have a message for you. Don't miss the meetings. Okay? How about we read all together Exodus 5, 2. Go. That verse, remember, chapter 5, is the second verse. Verse 1 said, Thus says Jehovah, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me. Verse 2, right there, Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh is a type of Satan. Pharaoh says, what? I don't know, Jehovah, and I will not let you go. Imagine, God is saying, let my people go, and Pharaoh says, no way. I will not let them go. I do not know Jehovah, and I will not let them go. So anything, anyone that opposes you to go to the feast, to go to the meetings, is a pharaoh. And pharaoh, of course, is Satan, number one, but pharaoh is very much related to ourself. Sometimes parents can be a pharaoh to you. They oppose you to go to the meetings. Sometimes, you know who lives? Brothers, who live together? Brothers, okay, read. okay, look at this. Sometimes these two may be a pharaoh to Reese and Will because they want to go to the meeting and these ones, you know, they, uh, why don't we stay here and whatever. They convince them not to go to the meeting. At that point, these two are pharaoh to them. And guess what also? You can be a pharaoh to yourself. Oh, because I have a little headache. Maybe I should stay here home. Or, oh, the temperature is 55 degrees. No, maybe, <laughs> maybe a nice hot chocolate. And, oh, at that point, you are pharaoh to yourself. Pharaoh is anyone, anything that hinders you from going to the corporate fees to miss the meetings. Okay? So don't miss the meetings. Hebrews 10.25, all together, let us read that. That's from the Berean Study Bible version. Go ahead and read it. Let us. Don't make that habit. It's a bad habit. 
Don't let that be a habit. Of course, none of us can be in all the meetings every week of the year. Right? None of us can do that. I cannot do it. But that should not become a habit, missing the meetings. Okay? Actually, we need to encourage one another, especially as we see the day approaching. Okay? So let us encourage one another, not miss the meetings. And finally, I hope you are convinced that feasting unto God and with God is the, is the best, the highest relationship that man can have with God. We have to be feasters. We have to come to the full enjoyment of Christ with God and his people. And how about we all read that verse together? Deuteronomy 16, 15. Go. You I love that phrase. Therefore, you shall be nothing but joyful. Okay? So how about we ask the Lord to turn us from doers to feasters, to be those who keep the feast for the entire course of our Christian life. Actually, for eternity, we will be feasting on Christ as the tree of life. To feast with God and his people is our destiny. Okay? So that's all I have. I hope you enjoyed. Maybe uh, I hope the Lord spoke something to you. How about we just pray with our neighbor, and then we're going to do something. We open it to everyone to overflow whatever you feel the Lord spoke to you. Just pray with your neighbor.